0: You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality. Where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Changing Reality. Welcome one, welcome all. If you guys do not know, Changing Reality is the place to be every other week. So if you're new to the show, where have you been all our lives? You're finally in the right place. If this is the... If you've been here for a couple of times, thank you for being part of our Changing Reality family. We love each and every single one of you. And today we have a really phenomenal speaker with us on the show to hopefully bring some insights on how you guys can change your own reality as well. So for all new listeners, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are essentially changing their own reality. So through the show, we'll be hanging out and interviewing phenomenal change makers, brilliant entrepreneurs, thought leaders, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world who have, in essence, not only changed their own reality, but have done so in a way that impacts the world around them, that creates ripples and and effects in the lives of those around them as well. And on this show, we get to hear the inspiring, inspiring stories of how they managed to do that while hopefully picking up a little bit of tidbits of information and lessons that we can use in our own lives as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I believe that there are a lot of people who do absolutely amazing things make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about learning how these people are able to do so, so that we can get those stories out there so that more people can shorten their own learning curves and figure out what they love doing uh, through the experiences and stories that they have. I'm a personal believer that stories are what makes this world keep turning. And to show you how much stories have actually played a role in my life, I actually personally founded and run a youth movement back at home called Ascendance that started where um, I was from in Malaysia. And today collaborates with not only our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but international uh, education providers across the world in 28 different countries to actually provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and start their own careers while they're still in school that creates meaningful impact, not just for themselves, but for those around them as well. And we've been so fortunate to date to work with over 35,000 students in over 970 communities. And as I said, have worked in 28 countries to help students as young as 8 to 25 years old to to start their own social businesses, their own social projects and even become entrepreneurs at that young age. So if you guys have any questions about it or if you guys have any questions on this show, in a sense, let us know what topics, what stories that we can bring to you so that we can replicate that and make this show the platform for you to do the same, for you to figure out your passion, get a little bit of inspiration and go out there and change the world. So let us know the comments, let us know all of the things that you want and how we can get them to you. And without further ado, Let's start welcoming our phenomenal speaker for today, who will definitely blow your mind. We have with us Sarah, who not only has taken her passion and her love for the world of data, tech, and politics, but has brought these three different spheres into a wholesome, brilliant career that has gone on to impact thousands. She's someone who has a knack and an extreme talent for being able to interpret Data in a way that makes it understandable and easily accessible to individuals and has used that to take the world by storm. Not only has she spent six years at Google as a data evangelist, working with Fortune 500 companies to grow their businesses, but today she also is a sales vertical manager and the team leader for the enterprise section at TikTok. Outside of her data and sales work, in the world of Google and TikTok. She's someone who started uh, in the world of uh, startups and entrepreneurships, where through data, she actually helped these businesses grow and understand themselves better. And is also someone who is involved politically and achieved phenomenal success in that sphere of her career as well. She was actually the senior advisor to digital for Kamala Harris's 2020 presidential campaign and has aided so many presidential, senatorial, and congressional campaigns as well. After the Kamala Harris campaign, ended, she continued working at Google while doing political projects at the site, and started to even show up on several conservative-leaning news shows, presenting the liberal point of view. Today, she is a conservative news weekly uh, 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 presenter, and is most often seen on Fox News as well. She's a senior fellow to the Wharton School, mentoring graduate students there, while full-time working at TikTok, and is someone who's bridging the world of uh, data and politics, as well as so many other fields through the phenomenal things that she does in all of these spheres. So we're so, so lucky to have her. Without further ado, let's welcome Sarah onto our virtual stage. And to begin the show, I just wanted to share a little bit about one of the conversations that we had, Sarah. i mean so great to have you on the show. And I remember just to embarrass you as we started off that you shared that getting into politics and the reason you've been able to grow is because of this personal philosophy that you had uh, passed down to you by your dad, actually, will embarrass you with the photo uh, to bring this point home. And it was actually this philosophy called, um, if I'm not mistaken, or, or centered around the idea of being kind and being used. And I think that that is something absolutely brilliant. It's something that many people forget. It's one of those things which is simple, but not easy to do in a sense. And you've obviously been incredibly successful. Where have you seen in your career, whether it was working on that campaign and getting that very quick promotion, so you obviously were doing something, right? Or whether it was your your amazing career progression in the tech world, where do you first see that that philosophy was relevant or, or brought you an advantage in the working world?
1: You know, um... The first thing that I could think of is back when I was, you know, maybe 23. Um, I was in a data heavy role. And I think that there's sort of a stereotype of of data nerds not being most well-spoken people. Um and I wanted to be someone who could sort of translate all this into English, right? Like I just get the bottom line of the insights. And so I started um, putting together little insight projects at my startup and presenting them. And um, frankly, just being a data person who is well-spoken I think was a huge advantage. And that, that sort of willingness to be bold and set my own limits there, I think got me early success and allowed me to move up in the startup change and when i made this switch over to google google was always really good about letting you explore you know you work outside of google as long as you were doing the job within the walls of google and kept your work separate and i started consulting on a number of congressional and senatorial campaigns and i think when a lot of people come in to a new world like i was with politics they don't take a step back and listen. And so, yes, I came to them with, hey, here's what I do in my day-to-day job. I work with Fortune 50 companies. Um, I think we can apply it to your campaign. Here's how I'd like to do it and why you should let me, basically. But if I hadn't taken the kind part seriously, which was shut up and listen to their response and not just shoving what I thought down their throat when they worked in this industry forever, I don't think I would've um, come off well, and I don't think I would've made their lives easier. And so, yes, come to that with that bold proposal. You're setting your own limits on where you're going in your career, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a linear career. It can be you know, all around different paths, sort of like mine is, um, but be coming in with a proposal, be useful, but also be kind and listen to feedback, otherwise it won't work. I hope that
0: was helpful very very helpful and i think that is as i said something simple but not easy and when we get swept up in things and all of that the kindness part is what is anchored and actually enables us to do a good job like you said i think it's a brilliant example you you mentioned getting promoted in in five weeks to a paid position which is um mind-boggling at the very least to think about what was it that you did like was it magic or, or, or again like Were you hit by radioactive radiation that enabled you to kind of stand out from the crowd? Because one of the things is many people go out there to volunteer, many people put their time, which is amazing, but they maybe find it a little bit tough to convert that into a career, convert that into something which would be able to compensate them for the work that they do, fairly So so how did you, in a very short amount of time, show your value in a really high-paced, I would assume, organization that um, has, though a huge impact probably is not constantly looking at, at or promotion and, and kind of like uh, career advancement, it's not why people go to this organization in a sense. So what, why do you, like, what do you think made you different in this?
1: You know, I think I always came to the campaign with a clear bottom line of why they should care. So the analysis that I was doing, the proposals that I were making, nothing was novel. Um, but when you're pitching to someone or trying to convince them to take a certain action, I think you need to take that step back and in one to two sentences say, this is why you should care about this. Here's how to do it. Just make it really clear and simple, especially when you're working at a startup or a campaign, which if you think about it, campaigns are kind of the biggest startups of all time, you know, <laughs> closing your doors, raising a billion dollars in a year. Um, they're so freaking busy. And so um, always just giving that bottom line. And as a, as a data nerd myself, I know that we like to dig all around, be really thorough. But for non-data people, always coming with that bottom line, I think, sets you apart from other data scientists. Um, so I always recommend taking a step back and saying, could someone understand your point, why they should do it? And what to do in 30 seconds. That's kind of been my (laughs) philosophy. And it's worked really well for me in both the startup tech world and also on political campaigns. All right. 30
0: seconds. If you can't say it in 30 seconds, don't say
1: it at all. Got it. Yeah. Oh, and I just wanted to add, you know, another reason um, I that this worked out really well for me is. Um, frankly, I'm really lucky and have privilege. I've been able to take risk in my career because, you know, growing up in a solidly middle class American family at a time where that meant you would never have to worry about food. You know, I could afford to pay rent for the next couple of months if I lost my job if it didn't pan out. And so that definitely gave me a huge advantage in my career as well. I know that's not very helpful to say it's not like you guys can be born and in, in, you know born in the, in the right family. Um, but I do wanna acknowledge that some of the, the risks that I take is purely because
0: I've been given
1: the privilege to do
0: that. No, but that is, no, I think it is relevant. I think that is important to talk about because I feel like many times because people are afraid to realize that they are privileged, they don't end up taking those risks and all of that. So that the fear that they have is so much more yeah. until they realize like like most people you don't have to be ridiculously rich you don't have to own five yachts to be able to do whatever you want or take those risks in career or, or things like that if you are from a middle class family you have like if you have a rough fallback in a sense you're fine you can try different things and what you've done which is so interesting is you've worked in in startups you've worked on political campaigns all which have high risk but also really high return and, and really in, like huge impact that comes out of that from your point of view what can other people who maybe don't have that mindset, but are still in that resource where they, or, or have the resources where they are able to take risks, but they maybe don't think about it that way. How can they start being a bit more aware and begin taking those steps to do things a little bit differently, to shake things up a bit?
1: I love that question. First, just want to reiterate, I'm, what I'm going to say may be insensitive because you know different people have different responsibilities outside their work hours and or have to work more than their fair share of hours and are much more limited. But my general advice, especially to clearly intelligent, hardworking young people like yourself, is knowing that you set your own limits. So the reason that I can work as a data evangelist at companies like Google and TikTok while separately being a spokesperson for liberal politics and conservative news is because I don't see my career as this linear lane that was set out for me. Like I can be the data person and the political debate person. I can be math and a thought leader. Why not? And another thing is, I think people have a fear of being cringe. So when I started showing up on the news, I know some people thought I was being completely cringe by posting the videos on Instagram and TikTok, but you know what? Let them cringe. I'm able to get my voice out there. So what? Um, but I would say, in order to do that, one, have the confidence and the true belief that you do set your own limits. So if you're a data analyst and you wanna go into interior design, you know there's plenty of folks that would love your interior design help. Post an ad on Craigslist saying that you'd love to volunteer and be bold and post those photos on Instagram. Like let people cringe. Um, I would just say, if you're lucky enough to have the time to, to explore those things, do it. You don't need to follow this linear ladder in your career. And the best part of dipping into multiple worlds is, so when I'm talking to Google people, they're like, tell me about politics. And when I'm talking to political people, they're like, so what was Google like? How's TikTok? Um, You know, and so (laughs) you really, I almost feel like I'm playing both worlds. Um, But just, I got really lucky knowing that I, I get to set the own terms of my game. And um I do have to thank my mom for that. She also did not have a linear career. She was a scientist and then a lawyer and now an entrepreneur. And um also Neil Hoing, who you had on your show a few weeks ago, has a very sort of here and there career that to other people it sort of doesn't make sense. And it's like, what game is he playing here? He's not just Trying to like climb this linear ladder to CEO of Google or whatever it may be, um, but I highly encourage you to just go for it and be cringe. I think you'll have a much richer career and you'll be much happier for it.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that on a T-shirt. Just be cringe. Like let people. <laughs> Like, no, I think, I think that's really, yeah. I, I feel like half the time people don't do things because they're like, oh, people are going to think I'm cringe. You're like, let them cringe. Like, who cares?
1: let's Let them cringe. Also, I'm a millennial. Am I using that Gen Z terminology correctly? I hope so. I'm
0: the worst <laughs> on the planet. I used LinkedIn for the last, like, five years over Instagram. So, like, you, like, you're fine. This is the first time cringe <laughs> is on the show. That shows how bad of a Gen Z I am. So, but no, 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 no. Like, lovely terminology definitely brought the hearts of everyone down one thing that that was really interesting that you said was kind of like on that not having a linear career path i feel like many times we forget that our life is not just about working a job and and like it's not just about doing a job and and like doing it forever and and climbing up that ladder yes that's important and i'm sure for some people it's really important but sometimes there's just so many interests that, that you as an individual can have or so many different things that you want to do and I feel like many times you're like, oh, but I but this is the most lucrative career, or this is the thing that has the most potential. Then we forget nothing is actually really stopping us from doing a couple of things. Uh, like, like nobody's gonna like sue you for that in a way. You're fine. And I think that this goes down a lot to mindset, way. Really. If you've always seen a linear career path, or or like, I'm sure even from this interview, they're like, Sarah did what? She has like how many careers? And that itself will open up people's minds. For your point of view you mentioned your mom being a bit of an influencing factor when you were younger tell us a little bit about her and, and kind of what you saw growing up that you felt opened up your mind when you were plotting your own career Chair.
1: you know my mother is i i i saw her become one of the leading women in silicon valley she started out as a chemist wanting to in, invent drugs And then she went to law school because she wanted to own the rights to those drugs and be able to understand those contracts. And that led to her doing patent law for Silicon Valley companies. Um, And then she started some healthcare companies. Um, And all those things growing up felt like, oh, yeah, no, she's interested in solving this problem, interested in this. And it was like natural dominoes to me but i do remember you know when she became quite notable people being like "What? where did you go from here to that and you know i'm really lucky to be um to not sort of be set in these linear limits where you go from you know vp to president or the finance terms that i don't know whatever those financial letters are um (laughs) um, and also I think that she gave me the example of being willing and comfortable to talk to anyone. So you and I, when we chatted before, were talking about sponsors versus mentors, which I'll explain in a second. Um, but I've never been afraid to reach out to people I admire. And in my experience, particularly women want to send the elevator back down right? They, they, want, they want to help you. And so it also encouraged people in addition to you know, these ladders are just a suggestion, know that. Um, but also, you can reach out to people on LinkedIn, and one out of five will get back to you. And um, I do want to take a moment to explain that I had a number of female sponsors that completely changed my life and continue to. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna take a step back to explain the yourself. idea, perfect. So um, this is a Harvard Business Review term, it's it's not my own, but the idea of a mentor versus sponsor is you need a combination of both in your career. So a mentor is someone typically in, in your reporting line, like your boss, um, higher level than you, who is, helping guide you and gain skills so that you can go and find your own opportunities. A sponsor, on the other hand, is someone also typically higher level than you, but who is not mentoring you. They already trust you. They are signing you up for things, trusting that you will make them look good, that you will deliver a good job. So it's more of a mutually beneficial relationship. For example, there's um, a man named Nick, who I work with at TikTok, who I am consistently impressed with, and I go to him for these cutting-edge dating, pro- date, woo, dating. Wow, data projects, um, because I know that he's going to make me look good. So I find him opportunities. Now I'm not mentoring him; I really trust him to deliver. And the reason it's important to take a step back and reflect on do I have the right mix of mentors and sponsors, is there's a lot of studies that suggest that mentors, if you have too many, can backfire. And women and people of color tend to be over-mentored and under-sponsored. And if you think about it, coming to a mentor and convincing them that you're ready for promotion, they're kind of the hardest people to convince. I mean, by (laughs) definition, you're junior to them, you're kind of their baby, versus a sponsor who, uh, you know, already trusts you. You've shown to them that you've done a good job. They will help you find opportunities. And, you know, for example, for me, there's a woman named Cynthia Friedman, um, who is a big thought leader in the democratic world. And, you know, I did a couple of projects for her and I asked, you know, I'd love to work with you again basically not using the term of, hey, will you be my sponsor, even though I have used that term in the past. um, She has continued to find opportunities for me. You know, I'm working with a governor right now. And um, it happened because I asked her for an opportunity. I did really well. And she came back to me for more. So she is a sponsor. And finding these sponsors has really changed my life. Now that's not to say that you don't need mentors, of course you do, but I do think that sometimes mentors can backfire because they see you as junior and also mentors can give you conflicting advice and then you know you don't follow one it's it's hard to do. So please find sponsors as well.
0: No, no, no. This is a phenomenal point. And I was so amazed by it the last time we spoke that I, that I had to mentally catalog, like every time I went for a meeting, what was actually being offered. Because I feel like so many people don't understand that terminology, which I'm grateful that, you, that you've now enlightened this a little bit. So you've got people who call themselves mentors, but they're actually sponsors. People who say that, you know what, I'll open opportunities. But they actually they're more mentors in a way. And, and I feel like being able to, at least in our own minds, distinct, Those people, in a sense, when we're going for meetings, which is fine. Because I've got amazing, like, like like actual mentors, which I know I go back to all the time. But then you know, you go for meetings at times when on new projects, and then everyone says, Oh, I can give you advice on this, I can mentor you on that. But what you actually need at that point are people to open up doors, people to sponsor, people to open things. And as you said, I feel that people of color and women have been taught that we should not really be asking, like whatever you give, I should take in a sense, that we're not being mindful of saying. Could you be my sponsor versus mentor? And then what happens is we end up in that place where you get 500 people giving you advice that, that pulls your project in 500 different directions. And you feel bad because everyone's doing it from the good of their heart, but you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, and you don't actually get the opportunities that you need to grow it in the first place. How do we fix this, in a sense, at the cost? How do we set the, like like get it right when we're in the meeting itself, when we're asking for help? What exactly do we do as someone who probably is new to kind of compartmentalizing this in their brains.
1: So the, the question that I, that I get around this topic of sponsor versus mentor uh, when I mention it to people is often, how do you make it happen? You know, like it, it's a little bit weird. Not the terminology isn't common the way the mentor is, um, you know, and people, uh, especially women will say, Oh, but that happens organically. I'm not going to ask for it. And, um, You know, I call BS on that. Yes, it does often happen organically, but I've had people come to me and say, hey, I like this presentation. I want to get involved in data with you. Or, hey, um, I see that you're presenting at a lot of conferences if you see an opportunity. And I've then had a conversation with them on sponsors. Or, you know, I've just asked people, hey, I really enjoyed working with you. I, basically the TLDR, I think I crushed it and I'd love to do that again. And also sometimes I do just explain the term sponsor. You know, I just did this last week with um, someone higher level than me at TikTok. And he was like, what's a sponsor? And I explained, um, you know, it's someone who finds opportunities and in return, I promise to crush it and make you look good. And he's already been in, you know, C-level meetings and um, within TikTok and is finding me opportunities. And so whether you use a terminology sponsor or not, the thing that you need to communicate is that you see them as someone influential who can help you find more opportunities and who you take seriously and will prioritize. The worst thing you can do is ask for opportunities and then do a bad job on them so only do this if you plan to deliver um just go ahead and ask and honestly i think people will be really flattered in sometimes honestly i think it's more flattering to be a sponsor than a mentor and it's certainly less of a commitment because you're like oh yeah nick will be good for that you know and by the way i highly recommend to people especially people who are new managers Um, you know, that early sort of entry level to mid-career level, Um, look out for people to sponsor. You know, I would love to sponsor you. You're clearly so impressive, and I trust you to make me look good um, if we were to work together. And also, part of the reason that I've risen quickly in my career is because I help identify talent and foster it. And if you're thinking, if you're looking, okay, I'm gonna hire someone to manage this org, you probably want someone who's pretty motivating and who recognizes talent and who finds the right people for the right opportunities, right? And so I would just ask any listener to both find your own sponsors, but also be a sponsor. Don't just think of mentorship, please.
0: No, very, very well said and and i think that just knowing that mentorship is it's great you need it but you need more sponsors than mentors at times in a sense because you need mentors that can really get you the advice the thought that you need and then you're going to need the opportunities to actually try those things out to actually deliver and, and grow in the career and i feel like this is a really important conversation to have because it, it helps distinct that Another thing that, that also kind of leads up that is also in, in your career, as I said, you've done so many things in, in, I would say, a very wholesome way. You went to the startup world and you went exact opposite to Google, in a sense, which is, again, the, the dreamland, the Disneyland of all tech companies, what <laughs> I call it. In your point of view, in a sense, how does it come, like, one thing that I noticed about you is you're very, very, I would say, at least, thoughtful in knowing both perspectives or knowing both sides of the story, especially when it comes to, on on one side, politics. You you take one point of view and you tell it to another uh, group of people who maybe don't share that point of view always and and try to get them to understand how it looks like from you. In in work as well, you were in the startup world, which um, is a little bit different from places like Google and TikTok and all of that, and often have a little bit of an opposing point of view, much smaller organizations, uh, much more uh, I would say uh, users and then people providing the services and then all of that. How do you think that, uh, or or what do you think is a skill that you have that that people should think about have developing that has enabled you to do that in a sense to to see both points of views and and be and bring them together. In a way? That I'm I want to think that like that. about that.
1: Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is to be kind and be useful. Um, And when I say be kind, I mean things like, how am I going to make this person's day easier? And also, am I hearing them? They're not going to hear you if you don't hear them and get their feedback on how they would actually apply it, particularly if you're coming into a field like I did with politics that I didn't know anything on the day to day. You know, I didn't know exactly how their budgets work, et cetera. Um, I also think. I'm going to use the term shameless or, or cringe. Um, I know I've been called names like that. Um, and I think what has helped me most in my career is just shrugging it off and taking it as a compliment. Like if they think it's cringe that you stepped up to do this project, if they think it's cringe that you posted this award on your LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, um, hey, they noticed you, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and also like in terms of an actual uh, skill, I do recommend for non-data people, especially, take an intro to data class like even a two hour one. Yes. I'm going to be teaching one with suction four, uh, which is a Coursera competitor, but not trying to do that pitch here. Anyone Google did a great one. Uh, just realized I worked on that one too. Sorry guys. I'm really trying not to plug
0: here. It apparently just, just the links. We'll put it in the, like the description later, like <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like,
1: clearly see self self promotion, man. It just views out. Right. Like, um, but, and I do recommend for particularly non-data people to understand the basics just enough to be dangerous. And I think a two-hour hour intro to data class can help you do that, particularly now everything is data-driven at the top level, C-level companies. And I think, you know, as someone, you know, being on a board of companies, whatever, i I need to be able to dissect how dependable this person's analysis is. Like, could anyone really get to this answer with that data? Um, For example, if someone says, Hey, people aren't buying the product because, um, you know, shipping is too long. Well, what? Okay, that is probably data that we have because we can see if we were delivering faster, people were more likely to buy. But if someone is telling me that people aren't signing up for something because they're not finding the information they need on the product, I'm going to ask what made you come to the conclusion? Is it just your one sample size of one experience or were you able to actually give me data for that? Because I understand the limitations of data. Um, And if you're going to depend on data people to give you analysis that you're gonna take action off of, I highly recommend just speak a little bit of data, just enough to be- (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, 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 I definitely agree. And I think this is really, as you said, it's something that people need to know now more than, than a request. I think it's something that, that is becoming critical because so many things are data-driven. You work in a company that, or, or many companies that are very data-driven. Um, I think it would be very naive of me to think that Google only uses data in their data department. I'm sure that it's much more widespread. And TikTok as well, that's that's the whole thing about social media, right? It, it's data that, that creates and curates that experience for each individual user. So we know that that's pretty straightforward. In your roles so, over here, have you ever disagreed with anyone on how to interpret data? Because again, data yeah. is something that <laughs> you're like, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how to really reconcile those things, really.
1: So I, the biggest thing that I see with data that is an obvious problem is people will start with a the theory and then slice data to back up in theory and that's not wrong the story should not dictate the data the data should dictate the story so um you know if someone has a hunch that hey this brand should focus heavily on video or this politician should talk about this topic and or hey the economy is doing worse you know if they start with that conclusion, you can splice data as much as you want. You know, if I wanted to say the economy is doing worse, I could, you know, do the year over the year, or I could do the last five days and I could make it look good. But the important thing is that I would, as what I would call a responsible data person, is you would take a step back and say, okay, what has the economy done year over year? What has it done lately? All the different views of the data, and then coming to the conclusion. And I also think that a lot of what happens on our very divisive news shows is that mm-hmm. we just we're selecting data that is quite useful, right? It like it, it reinforces us instead of taking that step back. And I think that whether it's a company like Google, or the Little Blue Campaign, anyone with any sort of influence, any decision making. Um, you absolutely cannot start with the story first and then the data. As humans, we're gonna to wanna to do that, but that is quite frankly reckless and counterproductive. Um, and so in terms to answer your question directly, how do I re- how do I reconcile that? If I'm suspicious of hey, this is a narrow story, you know, like you spliced it in this sort of imagine uh, you can curate data the way you can curate Instagram, right? Like you see this photo. <laughs> I look really good, um, and it paints the story that I want to paint you. But what you don't see is, you know, my cellulite or whatever. And um, data can be the same way. And so, asking people, okay, what was the long-term data cut? Like, what was that trend line? Not just the short term this week. If you're suspicious, um, just be honest and be like, hey, I I just want to make sure that we're being data driven and not, you know, emotional driven and then reinforced by data. You always are gonna have emotion in your work, but when it comes to data, I think you're really doing yourself a disservice if you start with the story first.
0: first. No, very well said. And, and that kind of leads to the other things that you do so phenomenally back to politics in a sense that you bring in this perspective that is data driven in, in something that we tend to get a little emotional about, uh, and all of us are guilty at times of it. I'm going to put up a picture of you during one of your many interviews, in a sense. Very pretty, very cool. Um, <laughs> tell <laughs> us, how did you get into, like, how did you get on TV in the first place? That, that, like, all of us, I know when we were kids, imagine ourselves being on TV and, and being people on the news, but that doesn't work out for most of us. How, where where did you go? come across this career, this path? What happened, Sarah? Tell
1: us and write us. <laughs> um, so I was on the Harris campaign, and when that ended in December of 2019, I reached out to a couple of uh, progressive organizations and basically pitched, "Hey, I'm someone who speaks data, and I can talk to potential donors about why Democrats need to invest in data and how much money we need to do it." and um someone who i was speaking to a potential donor um happened to be on the board of a news network and said hey you explained this really tough topic to me could you go on tv and talk about polling so we go on talk about polling it hits commercial break i thought that we were going to say thank you and goodbye and they're like could you stay on for one more segment i say yeah sure thinking it's going to be more mathy things Turns out it was a really conservative former member of Congress um, who just spat out. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm clearly pretty pretty biased here, but-, um, no, we, think, but we, we can picture yeah, it a little bit, yeah. Um, pretty aggressive in what I would call conspiracy theories. Um, and apparently I, I handled it calmly yeah, um, and it went well. And then it just divulged to me being a political commentator. After that, I was invited onto other news networks via Instagram. You can also book an agency um, to help you coordinate those bookings. Um, they do get overwhelming after a while. Um, and so there are ways to make sure that you're getting more of these opportunities. But honestly, I had dumb luck there. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, someone once told me luck is opportunity meets preparation. So I think you've got it oh, down.
1: I love crazy. I like that. You're giving me a bit too much credit, but I'll take it.
0: <laughs> no, 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 I seriously and, and that kind of leads to, the, to this question that I wanted to ask. And I think many people think it: How do you stay calm when you know that when you're on live television, you know at times that the thing that someone else is saying? does not line up with the data and information, but they say it so persuasively that, you know, or, or with so much emotion that that it, that it makes people feel like it's true. You know what's right from wrong, a little bit at least from the data and the information. What do you do, again, live TV, emotion is high, how do you still bring across a point that uh, may come out confrontational if you do it in a way that is confrontational, but at the same time, there is ground there, there's smoke that you've got to clear and you've got to like bring out the truth here. How, how do you do that? What even goes on in your mind? Are you just like imagining like a dartboard with like a couple of people's face? Like,
1: So my goal when I'm going on conservative news shows, representing a progressive point of view is to be convincing, right? And, um, you know, my goal is to extend a bridge that hopefully a few people walk across as naive as that may be and if you get inflamed you're not as convincing like for example saying he betrayed us versus he betrayed us so I think people think that the first one is more powerful but it's not especially when you're going into enemy territory with someone who disagrees with you right you um coming off passionate, what you feel is passionate and logical um, is not what's going to be convincing when you're talking to someone who is likely um, starting off disagreeing with you. And so Chesney, there's some moments where I'm biting my tongue, but um, what I care much more about than, than showing like, how dare you is to be convincing to my, to my viewers. And um, that always keeps me calm, like mind on the goal. And by the way, this isn't for all like TV interviews for me because I'm a liberal and conservative news. You know, the, the goal is to, to be calm and articulate and, and, and bring new ideas. And I just can't communicate that well if I'm getting angry
0: definitely you and i just wanted to share that you obviously are doing something right in all of this because again always on the news even after this uh met <laughs> and worked with literally the vice president of the country so congratulations definitely going going places what you there seems to be like i think in any influencer or thought leader role there is always the fans and the friction as i as i kind of think about it where there will always be someone who doesn't like you for no reason <laughs> or for maybe a good reason, but like there will always be someone in a sense. And with you being someone who is again so important in our community and in in in, in weaving a cohesive no, I think I think what you do is really important. I'm sure that you have your fair share of people who are probably a little bit on like the ones saying cringe and the ones who are not as supportive as the others. Does that pressure ever get to you? Do you ever, like, how do you deal with those people in a sense? I get, like, I have a friend who's an amazing, phenomenal international singer, counts every dislike she gets on a video and cries Mm. about it, even if she has a hundred and a thousand other likes on it. So how do you kind of deal with the pressure of the negative influence of the negative comments, no matter how small it may be?
1: You know, um, when I first started and I would get rape threats, and those freaked me out more than the death threats because I was like, oh, okay, you're gonna kill me, but like rape is actually <laughs> believable, <laughs> you know? And, they, um, and those shook me at the beginning. Um, and you know, there was comments, like I used to get a lot of comments that I had like a man voice and how dare you say this. And I stopped reading them for a little bit. <laughs> And then I did what is usually a very dumb move of responding to a couple, just the DM, not publicly, and you know, asking that what makes you think that what I said was a lie or something like that. And you know, what I learned is that okay, obviously I am never gonna be okay with someone sending up a, a violent threat or shallow criticism. Um, But, you know, when I get called out for things like, how dare you say that? Like, you're paid to lie. I'll say, where was the lie? You know, like, I'm referencing this government report from Trump's administration's public data. Here you go. And what I realized um, through those conversations is people are most of the time coming with the right intention. That guy who told me that I was paid to lie on TV was misinformed. And open to it once I you know sent him data and we had like an honest conversation back and forth and I honestly think what he when he sent me the nasty messages, he thought he was doing what was right for his country, like making me feel shame for what he understood to be untrue. He later apologized and that experience has played out for me many times. So I realized that one people are usually of good intentions and two, no one really gives a shit about what you're doing. Like no one is really monitoring you that closely. So that guy left me that message and then probably didn't think about me ever again until I DM'd him. Right. Um, and I don't think after someone reads, you know, um, an article that I'm noted in or whatever, I think for the most part, even if they're impassioned for one minute, they're not, Thinking about you much later. Hopefully, they're keeping in mind your ideas, but they're not thinking about me, Sarah Evangeline Mormon, right? And also, you know, when I post photos on Instagram and yeah, I'll get comments, good or bad, I know that, okay, they're going to scroll to the next post. And so, remembering (laughs) like people really aren't thinking that much about you, hopefully, they're thinking about your ideas, but not about you. But now, honestly, with that, I really have peace. I don't get jostled by comments. And I also took notifications off of my phone, and um, so I'm not interrupted by comments. But to be honest, I really, I I know this sounds like BS, but I really (laughs) am fine with them and almost fueled by them, I kind of find them energizing. That, like, oh, that resonated, whether it was good or bad. People are thinking about it for at least a little bit, you know. Um, so I really, I did find peace there.
0: Definitely, it shows that, that you you weathered a lot of the storm, and that you're definitely someone who, who is getting to the stage where you're you're ready for stardom. You're you're famous. Like like, like it's amazing.
1: You, <laughs> you're generous. <laughs>
0: you. should all write a book on this. Uh, but you shared so many phenomenal things. I uh, I don't even know where to start if to wrap it up from, I would say, the sponsors and mentors conversation from the don't worry about being cringe conversation to <laughs> your own story of, of how you, you opened up or, or, or went from or uh, going like being bothered by these and, and finding out how you can kind of find some peace with it to even things like destroying the linear career path for for our viewers in the near future. All of these are so important and so so relevant. I think you really have your your finger on the pulse of things that we needed to, to kind of like convey to the audience and things that really resonate. To distill down your journey and to distill down the things that you have kind of accomplished all throughout your life in a sense. What do you think has been one thing, or you can say two, but one thing that has really made you look at life differently compared to anyone else around you? What's mm-hmm. made you you, in essence?
1: I'd say, first, the constant mantra from my father saying, be kind, be useful, and applying okay. that but to work. Um, separately from that, I would say, um, honestly, being bold enough to reach out for sponsors and reach out for projects that seemingly were not on my career ladder. And just doing so shamelessly, you know, the worst thing is people saying them. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I, I have one question for you, if that's all right. I would like to formally ask you, could I be your sponsor? I'm so impressed with you.
0: Yes. I would love to. Thank you so much. I was going to ask you that. I just was like,
1: if I asked her (laughs) on- We're we're on the record. Uh, Whenever you're ready uh, and you know where you want to explore, um, please let me know. And if I can be helpful at all with the little little influence I have, I would love to be a part of your career. I just, I can't wait to see what you do. And thank you so much for having me.
0: You're too kind and I really appreciate you being on the show. I'll take you up on that offer. I'll drop you an email right after this when you're done with TV. You can you can look at it at your free time. But I really do appreciate it. And I think our audience agrees with me And you have been phenomenal on this show. And I really, really appreciate everything that you shared. So thank you and to so audience, thank you for joining us. And I guess we'll wrap it up here. And thank
1: you so much.
0: You have luck on her next appearance. And with that, let's end today's show. Bye. Thank you. You're listening to changing reality. Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.